My name's Tom Chockley. I teach a cartooning class at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, I was extremely tickled and flattered to get invited to say a few words about Nicole Hollander and Sylvia. I'll keep it short. First of all, besides being honored, I feel a little bit guilty because it's a little bit like being reunited with my long-lost aunt or cousin who I always liked a lot, but we've lost touch. I haven't been in touch with Sylvia for years because Sylvia does not run in the Baltimore sun and everything else seems to be running away from the Baltimore sun right now, I'm sad to say. But to tell you the truth, I've been alienated from newspaper comics for a long time. Why? Are these facts related? They are related because for the most part, if you look at the newspaper comics in our sad time, not only are they getting smaller and smaller and smaller, they've been getting smaller since 1949 actually, but they're about that big now, I think, which makes them hard for me to read. I'm sure probably some of you as well. But also, when you do read them, there's so much predictability. There's so much formula. There are only, there's so many family comedies and snarky animals having snarky relationships with each other or with people. And then there are strips devoted to the most minute of minutia, minutiae. Um, you know, they're funny, sort of New Yorkerish single-panel comics. They're funny for you know, a microsecond and you move on. And there's not much left to think about. This breaks my heart as a cartoonist and as somebody who, yes, tried to get into daily syndication. So looking through the Sylvia Chronicles and looking at Nicole Hollander's work brought back to me what a newspaper comic strip can be and particularly as a statement by an artist, and an artist being somebody who does not pander to whatever she or he thinks the public wants out there. An artist brings their own honest statements out, and the public takes it or leaves it miraculously somehow, circa 1979, 78, Miraculous, she got, miraculously, Nicole Hollander got this subversive comic strip past the poobahs and the protectors of blandness who run the newspaper syndicates. Maybe it was another time because you may remember Doonesbury got in sometime in the 1970s. One wonders if Doonesbury could get past the, the monsters at the gate now. But I got to tell you, reading through these again, being reacquainted with Sylvia, uh, has been to refresh myself with what a completely original comics artist Nicole Hollander is. It announced, she announces herself from the very beginning. The most obvious things about comics are so obvious we don't even pay attention to them. Like comics are always written in all caps. All the dialogue is always in all capital letters. And if it's not, it means because somebody's got a weird tone of voice. Like in, in Pogo, they used to talk in 20 different typefaces. You remember Pogo? Last great subversive comic strip prior to Doonesbury, I think. But Nicole Hollander's text is in a wacky collection of upper and lowercase letters that is perfectly readable, cardinal virtue in comics, perfectly readable, but it's in a different voice. It right off the bat says, this is not every other comic strip. 
she's got a, she doesn't even break it down into the usual one, two, three panels. You look at 99% of the time, comic strips are one, two, three. It's a formula. They could almost send you pieces of paper with the boxes ruled out. No, she takes the more leisurely one-two approach, which naturally adapts itself very well for greeting cards. I hope you make a lot of money from greeting cards. That was a long time ago. Well, that's a shame because, you know, a lot of, a lot of cartoonists make a living that way. But here, these things are a little too deep for the greeting card, I've got to say, or at least the greeting cards we're used to. She's subversive, and she manages miraculously to be subversive with a big smile on her face. Um, I look at cartoonists nowadays, political and subversive car- cartoonists. A lot of them are pretty snarly and snarky. She introduces politics as a personal thing. Gee, she's a feminist, the personal and the political. There's a continuous fabric there. She's a, it's a feminist comic strip. How the hell did that get past the censors? My God, a woman? And she's a feminist? Oh, my God. The world is coming to an end. She's really funny. And, she, and her ideas are not trivial. They stay with you. Even when she uses a completely surreal approach to a very heavy topic, like a fairy from outer space comes to intervene with a woman who's about to marry a Republican, that kind of thing. You know, she set a pattern. I I don't know if you read Tom Tomorrow ever. Dan Perkins, who's in the city paper every week, very subversive comic strip. But, you know, suddenly I said, oh, yeah, he has fairies from outer space and so forth. I wonder if he acknowledges his debt to Nicole Hollander. Anyway, I've talked quite enough. I'm flattered. I feel guilty. I'm really thrilled to meet Nicole Hollander and... Uh, I trust that the author of this marvelous book will give us a very entertaining little chat. Thank you for joining us here in Baltimore, and please, let's give a good old Charm City welcome to Nicole Hollander. Gosh. I wanted to talk about the fact that um, I didn't start out to be a cartoonist. I didn't come out of the womb as a cartoonist. I sometimes think that little boys do, but if you come out and notice that you're a little girl, you say, oh no, I won't be a cartoonist. I will be a ballerina. My parents, no, I won't start with my parents. Let me start with this book. That the fact that this book is 30 years and I have had to look back and to think about how I got from there to here, to think about what I started out to be and how I found a very torturous route to becoming a cartoonist because I was going to be a painter. That is what I was going to do. I was the kid in school who was always asked to draw the turkey at Thanksgiving. This caused me to overestimate my talents as a draftsman. As a teenager, I drew women with swan-like necks, and I drew Harry Belafonte over and over again. When I look at that little notebook, the only remaining piece of my childhood drawing, I think of it as being incredibly sentimental. 
And yet that didn't stop me from going to art school. So I went to the University of Illinois, and I majored in painting. And then uh, I went to Boston University to get my master's. So when I got to the university, I found that inside of me, there was a German expressionist. who cared nothing for reality, the way that things actually looked, as long as they were passionate and bleak. <laughs> and then there was the part of me which was really interested in, in civil rights and so, in social activism, so that this collage talks about, a lot about uh, child labor and about working conditions. I come from a family where uh, my father was in the union. He was a carpenter. And I remember when the first job that I got out of school because really I wasn't prepared to do anything since I had a, a bachelor's degree in fine art. Um, I had to talk the people at the Cook County Department of Public Aid into hiring me because I was so shy that they were afraid I would be afraid to go out into the district, but I wanted a job, so I pushed it. They had a union at the Department of Public Aid, and I didn't want to join that union. And my father said to me, oh, really? So you think it's perfectly fine for everyone to fight your battles for you and for you to get um, the results of their fight? And of course I said, I am, I am wrong, I am guilty, I will join, and I did. My mother worked for a hospital. She was the director of admitting, and she was very gregarious. Uh, and she would often bring people home who had been abandoned, who were suddenly found themselves pregnant, and found themselves with parents who didn't like that idea. And so she would just take everybody home and have them live with us for a while until they got on their feet again. So here I was, planning to devote my life to standing in front of a canvas and painting my inner feelings all by myself, just me and my brushes. What was wrong with this picture? How could I pull everything in that I really wanted at the same time? Oh yes, there I was. All graduate student, art students, are very unhappy and very bleak and very German. Then I got out and I, and I got a job as a graphic designer because there was no job for a painter. Uh, and at that time it was really very interesting because there was money to do um, work with public television and public television had money. And I did materials for teachers to talk to their students about programs that were really interesting. And then I had my Bambi side. I had my little sweet uh, drawing side. I love to draw animals. This is a film for water reclamation. And my big nose side. I worked for a, a, a group called Argus Communications, uh, and they they did posters. I mean, that was a wonderful job, absolutely wonderful job. But my absolute favorite job was working for an insurance company, and every month I would do a folded flyer. 
I could put any insane thing, any surrealistic thing I wanted to on that flyer, as long as after you opened it up, there was a die cut in it, and you could put a metal calendar, and independent insurance agents could put that metal calendar on their watch. Now, no one would be caught dead with that particular thing anymore, but it was a great job. This was also great. I, I had a lot of great possibilities. Um, when Glenn Close did Fatal Attraction, um, Mother Jones wrote about how people re- responded to her character. There was not a lot of sympathy for her character, and of course, as I always liked, cranky women. Um, to hear two little girls fighting over who's going to play Glenn Close. I'll be the single working woman bitch, and you be the mommy. I never get to be the single woman I'm telling. This is the good girl. When a guy dumps me, I buy a big bag of semi-sweet chocolate. Then I get into bed and cry and eat until I hate myself. The bad girl. So like if a guy dumps me, usually I like to run over and pour acid on his car and kill all his pets. I grew up uh, peeling potatoes and... uh, sort of hanging around my parents' deli on the south side of Chicago. And so I really, I really loved the way those places looked, the arrangement of the, you know, the spices and the, and the cream and the half and half. And, and I loved to clear, clear off the tables. And one time I, I cleared a man's plate before he was actually ready to stop eating. I was just so efficient at that time, so much energy as a child. And he said to me, looked at me really hard, and he said, the last waitress that did that to me, I shot her. And I thought, wow, I'm being considered as a grown-up. So, I have a character called Ruby the Waitress who bullies her clients, her, uh, the customers, into eating something which is good for them. And really disgusting, usually. It's like, 27 grain bread, you know, something's really, really dry. And since her restaurant is also an HMO, they also have to get a medical procedure. My mother had three, actually, she was the third. So my mother had two girlfriends, Olga and Esther. This is Esther. And they met when they were teenagers, and they all got jobs selling subscription to magazines door to door. And they knew each other forever. They married guys from the same social club. I don't think we have social clubs anymore, but that's what they did. They had their kids together. And that's me sitting in the back, just being so thrilled to be around Esther, who was the original of Sylvia. And as you see, she's smoking. Um, My mother smoked when she was pregnant with my sister. And, and she would put her ashtray on her stomach so that I could see the ashtray bouncing up and down, up and down. And, um, and yet, my sister is a lot taller than I am. So tell me that cigarettes are bad for you. I, I, I don't believe it. I seem always to be interested in Sylvia and aliens. Um, I was a big fan of science fiction when I was a kid. So I, when I was looking for slides for the tour... I found this slide. I don't know how old it, it is, but I was evidently thinking about this character for a very, very long time, much longer than the strip exists. This is Sylvia 
before she was really Sylvia. Uh, I, I started at uh, The Spokeswoman, which was a feminist publication uh, in Chicago. It was national, and I did drawings for them to go with their articles. I did a lot of uh, pig judges with their tiny hooves sticking out below the desk. And one day, I just did a cartoon. I just did one a month. And here's someone telling the Sylvia with the tiny nose, um, truly feminine women don't like affirmative action programs. They don't like short men. They don't like rare meat. Truly feminine women like spiked heels, chocolate miniatures, they eschew plaids, and they don't like beer in cans. Now, this Sylvia, before she became a feminist, agrees with absolutely everything he says until he gets to beer in cans. And that turns her into a feminist. This is Sylvia with the nose. And with the nose came the attitude. With the nose came the ability to speak on any subject. Rita, you must believe me, alien beings are among us. She says, yeah, in public office. Every time we brought a collection of books out, a collection of comics, I would have a Sylvia look-alike contest. And I think that the woman in the white jacket with the cigarette hanging out of her mouth is the perfect Sylvia. Very beautiful. She decided to do something else for a living other than show up all the time as Sylvia. And there I am in the middle, uncostumed. One day, um, a woman wrote me a letter and she said, I've been making Sylvia dolls and I'm going to sell them now. So I thought, well, maybe you'd like to know about it. You know, and it's like, it's so great because, you know, copyright doesn't end enter into it. You know, when you're not making any money, it doesn't matter anyway. So I said, really? You're making a doll of Sylvia? When are you coming to Chicago? And she said, I'm, next week. So she came and we spent the entire time talking about how high Sylvia's heel should be. Um, she's wearing a play suit, that, the kind of thing they wore in the 40s, what her hair should be like, what her sunglasses should be like, and most of all, where, what she should wear underneath, which was a black lace teddy. In order to sell, um, <laughs> we made these dolls. She handmade these dolls. It was, you have to sell millions of them in order to um, make any money for it. But I really love them, and they're, I still have them. I even have, I, we were talking about Linda Berry. I have one that I had made with red hair for Linda Berry. She was perfect. And I've gotten, uh, uh, when newspapers had someone who, when people wrote letters, um, I, I would be sent letters from people. They would just put them in an envelope and, and, and send them to me. I mean, sometimes the letters were so scary that I'd, I'd say, oh, my God, do they know where I live? But they didn't. They just put the stuff in an envelope, and I got it. So anyway, this woman says, I have some very unusual reasons to be interested in your column on July 23rd, 1982, which was, which was about the concerned Venusians for the planet Earth. I would appreciate it greatly if you would explain to me why you thought of all those details and chose the Venusians in particular as the space aliens. If you would like to know what my reasons are for being interested. Okay, I'm going to stop right now. I wanted to know her reasons, but I was afraid. So I did not answer her. This is my favorite kind of letter. Why did you take Sylvia out of your comic se section? Are you demented or what? So, thank you, Al Ackerman. 
I think my, my mother had one suit and she would just put all these different collars, detachable collars. And since she looked so great, it was fine. Uh, she was very funny. My father was the one who was political. My mother was very, very quick, totally unable to tell a joke that had a punchline. She could never, in the middle, she'd just suddenly have a panicked look come across her face and she'd say, I don't know what to say next. And so we would just let it go because she was so good at the off-the-cuff remark. My dad, who um, had to quit school and didn't finish high school and was wonderful with words and any kind of knowledge, was really very proud of himself. And um, so he said to her, I was sitting right there, and he said, bet you don't know what a male swan is called. And she says, uh, sure I do. A swine. <laughs> so what else could I be but a cartoonist with a mother like that and a political father and a, and a father who loved words so much? When I, I, I started doing the book, I discovered that I had just been, I'd just been Re Reagan bashing, you know, just with, you know, sort of like not even thinking about it. I was like, this is a stupid, unreasonable man that we're going to have in the White House and I don't like it, and I'm just going to say something nasty. And so I did. Now, if you would ask me to point out Ohio or Nicaragua, I probably wouldn't know, but, you know, he was our president, and I expected that he would know a bit more than I would. I got, what happened is that I started reading everything. I started getting really worried that I would miss something, and that made me into a reader. And now that I can read online and see everything, I'm still worried that I might miss something. I mean, friends do send me something that they think will interest me. And there's a cousin of a friend of mine who lives in Nevada City, California, and he's just online all day. And he said, I'd like to send you some items. And I thought, everybody thinks they know what I will find funny. And he knew exactly what I would find funny. And so he... Uh, it's a lot of British stuff, because uh, the Brits will just be as weird as they can possibly be, and it's just absolutely wonderful. So he sends me, if he doesn't send me something, um, I write him and say, please, I, I, need, I need an idea. Please tell me that British dogs are fatter than other dogs. I need, I need to hear this, and that was the last thing he sent me. He keeps a chart, because in his family, everybody is like that. And he keeps a chart of what ideas he sends me and what percentage of them I use. So, As I was saying before to Tom, I don't make, I don't make anything up. You know, so this was true. This is what we had. And then Sylvia says, what have they got to get us through the 1984 elections? Clarence Pendleton, head of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, revealed today that he hadn't realized that he was black but that now that it had been brought to his attention, things would change at the commission. And I, I think, you know, the Republicans can always find one black person who will be a Republican. Luckily, it is usually only one black person. Tomorrow, Joni makes a surprising announcement on Happy Days. She's gay. When I wrote about um, homosexuality, um, when I wrote about racism, no one, no one kind of protested. When I, when I offended people, it was if I would mention hemorrhoids. 
I would get letters or my, my syndicate would call me and say, are you sure you really want to do this? This is a character from, this is the character from Venus. Um, and he, he speaks to Sylvia. He just turns up. He's sort of like de Tocqueville. He comes into the bar. He speaks to her. She understands him perfectly. He's no stranger to her than any other man that she talks to at the bar. And she, so he speaks and she answers him. And she says, uh-huh, women wear slacks and no one comments on it. What would happen if you wore a dress? Well, some people would invite you to parties and some people would attempt to beat you to death. And I thought, when I looked at this, I thought how raw that is. I don't know that I would write something like that. But um, in the 80s, there was an in increase in attacks um, on gay people, really serious attacks that landed them in the hospital. And Reagan did not speak about AIDS until after he left office. Oh, this is, I was so proud of this one. I got two bad things in this one. Alabama's ban against vibrators stands. State says there is no constitutional right to an orgasm. And Sylvia says, Rita, get my copy of the Bill of Rights. And Rita says, I think that's in the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I think my syndicate said, do we have to have vibrator and orgasm? I said, <laughs> I stand behind that. Cats. Um, my cats are, you know, cats, and they're f political. And I, what I like about cats is they, they really express our most selfish self-centered personalities so that we can see that someone else is showing us just how it looks and we can keep on doing it if we want. Well, cats were not allowed on planes. They had to fly in baggage. Now they're a revenue stream. And so it's, uh, when I took Sally Cookie to California last time, it's 100 bucks each way and she could sit under the chair in front of me. Now what I thought about, and they, and they also said, only seven cats per plane, you know, like <laughs> people could be allergic to cats. Maybe seven's too many for them, you know. Um, people are allergic to peanuts. They don't serve peanuts anymore. But you can charge for cats, so there they go. I was happy. Oh, I got in trouble for this too. Culture alone doesn't make us who we are. The brain is differently wired in men and women. And I said in men, the wires are loose. Okay. That wasn't fair. But some guy got really, really mad, and, and he wrote a letter, and it was printed in, in the paper. And, 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 he, and he said, two wrongs don't make a right. And I wrote him back, and I said, they do too. You know, that was, that was the end of it. The Supreme Court staggered the nation today when they ruled that conception begins the minute you think about sex. Oh, mobile oil. Now we have BP. Actually, I don't think we even completely got over Exxon. I think there are still traces, big traces, of what they, they did to Alaska. Anyway, they, you can see how old this is. It's 83, and it was a pretty old answering machine. I very carefully drew my answering machine. Hi, this is mobile oil. We can't come to the phone right now because we're working night and day to make life comfortable for you. But are you grateful? No. You call us greedy. You call us liars. 
you force us to hire writers to produce long ads that nobody can read all the way through. We don't want your scummy message. Leave us alone. So I get a telephone call. Guy says he's from Mobile Oil. I tremble all over. I think he's a lawyer. He says, I, we want a, an apology. How many papers are you in? I say, six. <laughs> Seemed like, you know, not such a big deal to me. Um, and then I said to him, what do you do there at Mobile Oil? And he said, I'm in PR. And I just slammed the phone <laughs> down because I was afraid if it was a lawyer, but those PR guys, they don't have any power. But I waited a long time to write about them again. Here's a cartoon that people used to laugh at a lot and may still laugh at if they don't think about it. And then I showed it at a health conference, health workers conference, and there was dead silence in the room because I was writing about the self-satisfied doctor who just thought about how things affected him. But by the time I showed this cartoon, doctors were already being killed for giving abortions. So um, I show it now in a retrospective, but we'll never show it without an explanation again. And this was one, I, uh, one of my good ideas. I have a section of the book called Good Ideas, which I wish that the government would take up. The Senate Subcommittee on the Problems of the Poor announced a plan today to have rich people and poor people switch places for a specific amount of time to be decided next week. The poor will always be with us, but there's no need for them to be the same people over and over, said a committee spokesman. Cats who gloat. Fluffy and I will not be paying for the SNL bailout. We didn't vote for Reagan either. Okay, this is long, but um, it's really, you know, in some ways it's really dated very much because it's, Ma, can a douche make you feel more confident? And Sylvia says, not like a good stock portfolio. Well, when's the last time any of us had a good stock portfolio? So it's really an old joke. Um, but a woman writes the paper and, and, and she says, it seems to me that more care and editing should be done in the comic section of the journal. The strip by Nicole Hollander is offensive and quite unnecessary, and it is certainly not humorous. You know, that's always the final statement. It's not funny. It's like I could, I could destroy or try to destroy any moral code as long as I was funny, but since I'm not funny, I can't. What I hate is to have television commercial telling women and girls that there's something very wrong with them. And this very wrong thing can be corrected by buying a product, which they just happen to be selling. Um, what the editor says is that many people did call and say that they also hated these ads. And that, I don't know if they were happy I did this cartoon, but they recognized why I had done the cartoon. What he did, of course, was print this cartoon enormously. I said to him, did, you know, like, did, did you just want someone to see it who, you know, like, who hadn't seen it, you know, and be offended in case they hadn't been offended? And he said, I feel that that's my job. And believe me, there's no one like him anymore in the newspapers. Um, Afghanistan, over and over and over again. 
Um, Rita's trying to get, uh, Rita's always trying to get in to take a shower. Uh, Sylvia doesn't want to leave the tub. She just wants to stay in there. And she will tell, you know, Rita anything. So this is about Afghanistan. And she's going to stay there until the Soviets pull out. Well, little does she know that we'll pull in as soon as they pull out, you know. Um, I wanted to talk about her relationship with Rita because, so Rita's trying to get inside because she'd like to take a shower for a date and, and Sylvia often says to her, well, I hope you're not going out with Matt Damon because I had an affair with his father and he could be your brother, you know. <laughs> and the same goes for Casey Affleck and Ben, you know. So she will do anything to keep her place in the tub. When Bill Clinton came in, I was thrilled. I even um, changed the way Sylvia looked. It took 25 pounds off of her. I made her look glamorous. I was just so excited that someone that I had voted for had won. So, but naturally, she does want to send him a little advice. Dear Bill, okay, let's talk about health care. I want everyone covered. I don't want people losing their coverage because they've been careless enough to have a catastrophic illness or be unemployed. And while we're at it, get the insurance companies out of the picture, retrain those guys, or send them to live in the south of France. Let them all have breakfast together, cafe au lait and croissants on me. Love, Syl. Dear Bill, there are a few things I'd really like to see happen over the next four years. First, I want Thomas, Scalia, and Rundquist pensioned off. Send them someplace nice. I'm always sending them someplace nice. Maybe the Mediterranean, maybe near Gore Vidal's villa, okay. Then I want some judges appointed who believe in justice for all. Okay, I'm not unreasonable. They don't all have to be women. And then I love cranky women. Here's a woman sitting at her desk. She's crossing out all the awful things she's not going to do. I will try to be more understanding of others. I will try to be more patient when dealing with the incompetent people that surround me. Then she finally ends up saying, I will not slap anyone first thing in the morning. This is also an irritable woman. Has a wonderful husband. He's always making her a Valium martini. The woman who is easily irritated is not a feminist, but this is a little pile of books by women who built careers on whining about how feminism gave them too many options, causing them to be confused rather than happy all the time. Please hand me a match. And he says, would my honey like to think this over? No? Very well. <laughs> Today, as part of the government's Healthy Forest Initiative, President Bush flew over many of the nation's forests, causing them to disappear. Rita's always standing in the back saying, you know, cautioning her mother. Mom, saying something like that is going to be illegal at any moment. Oh, and this is Ruby, the waitress, at the HMO Cafe. What's the special, Ruby? A turkey club and a sigmoidoscopy. Just kidding. Oh, thank God. We're out of turkey. I think you can't even get a sigmoidoscopy should you really want one. You can only get a colonoscopy now because that's more efficient. Sees more. As I say, um, I always write what I think is true, what I read in the paper. Chiquita Banana is being sued for supporting right-wing death squads in Colombia. If this is true, it's like finding out that Bambi's mother ran guns or that Lisa Simpson smokes. This is one of my favorite jokes. Um, this young woman uh, 
I made her a beautiful young black woman so that my mother wouldn't know it was her I was talking about. Um, my mother was an enormous warrior. Uh, one day she said to me, uh, it's incredibly cold outside. I hope you're not going to leave the house. And I said, well, really, I do need a quart of milk. I'm just, it's really, it's right at the corner. I'm just going to be very, very quick. And she said, did you know that the water in your eyeballs can freeze? And I mean, I knew this was not possible. But I walked out, you know, with my hand over here. So anyway, she's talking to her mother. She said, hi, Mom, you and your brudge club are volunteering to search for weapons of mass destruction. I'm so proud of you, Mom. Are you going to Iraq? No. Iran? Korea? No. Paris? Oh, well, I agree. It's more fun to look for WMDs there. Bring me back some shoes. This is how I felt. I dreamt that everyone I knew cashed out their stocks before the market crashed. I called my sister. I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, didn't you get the memo? No, I shouted. Well, it's probably on your dresser under a pile of dirty laundry. And it was. My question is, how did you get past the poobahs at the syndicates with a subversive comic strip like Sylvia in whenever you first started syndicating? Um, I, I think they saw her as a kind of... Um, working-class Cubs fan, and I think they didn't see the politics in it at all. Um, and as I say, they were really always so much more worried that I might offend someone's, you know, um, I might be offensive to good taste than they were about, about anything else. Um, people often um, were worried about the occult, if I had a fortune teller, um, and, and the devil, that was very worrisome to people, too. But um, I, you know, it's, it's strange. I mean, I saw, I love Doonesbury. You know, I saw him. I thought, well, surely if he's in the paper, there will be room for me, too. There'll be room for another political strip. But there was nobody else like Doonesbury. Uh, and they knew they made a mistake. So, yes. Do you share a Do I, I count him as... I don't, I don't think so. I counted as a fabulous strip, and I was sorry that he, he stopped doing it, but, but I don't see it as political. The, uh, the, char the character who has varying three personalities, will we see more of her, and uh, what new personalities <laughs> can we hope for? It is funny how sometimes you forget somebody, and, and, and of course now that you, you know, mention her, she could come back. You know, there's plenty of personalities for her to explore now, you know, something with Sarah Palin, you know, I, I think this is an idea. Thank you very much for reminding me. So the, um, the environments that Sylvia's in, are, is that like your house and your stuff? It's like the things are so great to look at. Thank you very much. I, um, I would change them. I mean, sometimes when I do two panels, I would change them within the panels. And, um, they really are, um, they're pretty much made up, you know, um, and even, you know, I, I, I throw in a, lo a lot of animals that, that don't exist, you know. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad that you noticed it. Um, I just read about a couple 
in the New York Times who had pared down to one, one small room, you know, and thrown everything away. I thought, what an interesting concept, you know, but it's not happening, so. <laughs> yes, if, if you would like to see Sylvia every day, you can go online uh, and go to uclick, which is written with a U, click.com, and you can just uh, select Sylvia and you'll see it every day. Thank you. And I'm also on Facebook for those people who are addicted to Facebook. Um, I have um, the Sylvia Talks, which is a Sylvia fan page, Sylvia Talks, and the Edgy Cat fan page on Facebook. And I've been writing on my experiences um, traveling. I think it's very, I think that humor is very much attached to the country that it's in, um, with the exception, I think, that um, the Americans get the, the Brits. I don't know if they get us, <laughs> but we certainly love them, you know, so. But other countries, it's, it's very, very different kinds of, of humor, so. Um, they tried to publish me in, um, in Amsterdam, where, where you think they would, but it's the translation that's so difficult. You had a question back there, too? Um, I had a question. You said that you were struggling as a cartoonist or you don't make a lot of money, but I was wondering um, how long did it take for you to be comfortable in this occupation or did you have to support yourself for a long time doing other artistic or other odd jobs to support your art? Um, I was a graphic designer for a very long time while I was a cartoonist. Uh, until I felt uh, comfortable enough to make a living. And I really have, I mean, there, there's a price to pay when you just say anything that you want. And, and, I, and I'm sort of willing to pay that, that price, but um, I've, I've never made a lot of money. But I've made enough money. You know, I have a nice place to live. So it's fine. Um, and newspapers are, you know. Hmm? For... I, I mean, I, th I think I must have worked for about four years at the same time I was doing the strip. And, th and that, that seemed to me to be um, a long time. And I was happy not to be a graphic designer because that's a demanding profession. When the Tribune bought the LA Times, they were just really annoyed. And they took it out on me, which I thought was odd when they could have found Sam Zell or something like that and, and hurt him. Uh, but they dropped me. So I, I, um, I used to be in a lot of, of uh, mainstream papers. And the Tribune just, because of their financial difficulties, um, they've cut down their cartoon page, you know, and saved a few bucks every month. Um, so I'm, I'm in uh, quite a few papers online. And... Um, and oddly enough, in a paper in Alaska and in Palm Beach and uh, things like that. So, um, but what really made me sad was um, that when I was in the LA Times, James Woods was a fan of mine, and I was such an enormous fan of his. So that, that but you know, I don't think I'm, I'm so much of a fan of his anymore. So it's okay that I'm no longer <laughs> in the LA Times. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. It was, it was fun to see that lady's dolls, the Sylvia dolls. 
have you considered licensing more stuff? Um, popular culture <laughs> loves stuff. Yeah, but you ha you really have to. Um, it all feeds into each other. You know, you have to be in a lot of newspapers because you have to have thousands and thousands of orders uh, before it becomes something that people can buy. Um, I love these. You know, I have them all around the house. But um, no, it really you really do have an uh, have to have an enormous audience for that. So, um, and before all th all these things became you know quite. Um, concentrated in one big company, there used to be a lot of, of uh, greeting card companies. And, and, and I did a lot of greeting cards, but then they were all absorbed sort of in, into Hallmark. So things changed. Got more corporate than they were. Yeah, more corporate. <laughs> Let's have more corporate. Thank you very, very much. You've been Thank wonderful. You.